Welcome to Conversations on Wealth, a podcast series that explores financial complexities and modern strategies for the discerning investor. Brought to you by Ropan Financial Services. Now to our host. Welcome to Conversations on Wealth, presented to you by Ropan Financial Services. My name is John Calabro and I'll be your host today. I'm joined once again by the directors of Ropan Financial Services, Rodney Gillum and Jason Panozzo-Tile to discuss all things wealth. And uh, I got the order different today, boys. Rodney, you go first. Oh, thanks, John. Yeah. You're welcome. Good, good morning and welcome to a new year for us, isn't it, really? Uh, I think you're right, actually. Yeah, it is. New year. It's rolling on fast. How are you, Jase? I'm well. Looking at flight tickets, vacations, living the dream, really. Okay, somewhere special. Got somewhere in mind? Uh, things remain unknown. Yeah, okay. Lots of options. I saw free flights return from Japan yesterday, and I... Free flights? Yeah, well, not, you know, free return. And uh, I was very tempted for a, for a trip to Tokyo, uh, but... I think on our agendas, talking about inflation later on, and I just saw, <laughs> just did a little Google, and apparently accommodation and travel, like the inflation rate's about 13%, Jason, so I hope yeah. you've saved your bickies over summer. Well, there's a noticeable difference on the pricing, so maybe it's something we can talk about today. Yeah. Mm, might have to do some budgeting later on in the session. We love budgets. Mm. Oh, no, no budget left for sushi, let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Japanese whiskey, on the other hand, I'd, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to f- find some room in the budget for that. Sounds like you want to do some s- snow skiing coming up. Oh, there's plenty of reasons to go to Japan, let's put it that way. Is there? Oh, yeah, always is. Yeah, right. Um, guys, our last podcast, we spoke to um, Simon Burns about real estate and the market, what was going on. Um, tell me, how did, uh, how did that settle for you? Did you get some comments on that and, and how do you see things now? Yeah, there was a little bit of feedback. Uh, we've noticed a little bit with our client base since we got back from the summer break that some of the existing clients that maybe more owner-occupiers or, or guys that have got holiday homes people are on the move to maybe upgrade. We've definitely got a lot of momentum in that space. Already some of the clients have made decisions and, and it might be like downsizing a couple of homes. They might have a place in Melbourne, a place down the coast and just upgrading their their lifestyle property down generally on the coast. But yeah, so there's definitely a market. I mean, we're going to talk a bit more about interest rates and that sort of thing, but the home buyer market, only around 35% of that's a, a borrowed sort of market. So there's there's plenty of market there where people are owner-occupiers without any finance. So there appears to be a bit of a trend of people sort of upscaling or, or maybe now that there's a bit more uh, property on the market that people have got a bit more confidence to consider upgrading Uh, we had a farmer call in the other week we've been working with them for probably 20 years now but they're now making the decision to come off the farm they've got a couple of titles uh, water rights and all that sort of thing and they're now confident that there's a bit more stock that they can move into town and and sell their farm so that's something they're planning later in the year so yeah it's definitely interesting times john and, and the real estate market whilst it's doom and gloom with interest rates it's not the only factor at play from what we're seeing yeah one of the things that um has come to my attention i suppose is as the interest rates do go up um obviously that's going to affect people with mortgages but that there's you know if we if we look 
across the market. There's only so many people with a mortgage, right? So not everyone has a mortgage. A lot of people actually own their home. So, mm. you know, um, how do you find that dispersion of, um, I guess, squeeze? You know, some people will be squeezed, some people won't be. Quite discriminatory, isn't it? Well, some might say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's one of those things. Maybe those that have got the bigger mortgages, maybe there is a double income in the household. Um, I don't know. It's just it's not a great scenario to be in where your costs are increasing. You know, not you know, not just with your mortgage, but also your day to day living and your wages might be growing, but your expenses are growing faster than your income. It's not a great position for people to be in at the moment. Um, but I guess we are in it a little bit together. The investment markets have been a bit of a challenge the last 12, 18 months as well. So I think everyone's taking a bit of a hit. It's just a question for how long this hit's going to go for. You're damn straight about the prices and things costing a lot more. I mean, uh, for the Italian few of us in the room, just the cost of cheese alone, Jason. <laughs> Not just that. What about prosciutto? <laughs> I saw the other day one hundred eighteen dollars a kilo, up from seventy nine dollars a kilo. Uh, Italian or Spanish? Ah, uh, Italian San Daniele. Yeah. But interesting point, John. Mozzarella cheese has gone up from ninety two dollars to one hundred eighty six dollars a kilo. Who would have thought? Yeah, and I've got a bit of a fetish for salt and vinegar chips too, and that's causing me trouble. <laughs> really. <laughs> Not, not, not servo price yeah, or no no not anymore i've got to uh, i've got to i've got to hold off on that on that um on that craving yeah i'm putting that i'm having a potato chip holiday yeah right i think the golf club were without potato chips for a few weeks and they put out the big post that they've um, got the chips back on the menu so there you go <laughs> um. it is swings and roundabouts so isn't it because we saw lettuce was flying through the through the roof and it's back you know, we're seeing the same with potatoes. We're seeing, you know, like you said, we just talked about cheese, all these sort of commodities. Um, you know, things, you know, what can you, how would you advise someone who's trying to set up their family budget? It's Because it's all over the place at the moment. That's a good question. <laughs> Jason, I probably don't deal with budgeting too much. <laughs> but um, I thought we were talking about investing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think it kind of lead, leads into it, doesn't it? Because, you know, once the dust settles, you've paid your bills, you've paid your groceries, what's left over is hopefully what you're putting away for a rainy day, putting towards, you know, a bit of fun here and there. If you think about Barefoot Investor, he talks about his buckets and whatnot and, you know, your, your fun bucket and your splash bucket and your, your mm. investment bucket. So, mm. you know, how are you finding that knock-on effect with some of yeah, your there's, clients? Yeah, there's no doubt, John, some of the conversations have slowed down. Like those that are, that are carrying a bit of mortgage debt or even investment debt because the investment loan costs have obviously gone up a lot so we're definitely finding some of our clients and some of them will call them the hardest workers in the room they're working hard you know they're taking commitments on in business and in employment and a lot of that their free income maybe at the moment is going towards debt debt repayment like there's there's no doubt that you know people are working hard to get on top of their commitments um there'll always be those groups of clients that have got the spare income that really focus on bumping up super contributions and, and all of that sort of thing. So there's no doubt that the, the core strategies for a lot of people remain, but definitely some of that surplus that you're talking about maybe has dried up a little bit. You got any th thoughts on that, Jason, with, with some of your connections? Yeah, I think there's been an overall slowdown in regards to cash flow and discretionary spend. But I was just reflecting on a point 
maybe things have stabilised to a degree too. So if we have a look at the actions the governments took a couple of years ago with, you know, the changing marketplace with COVID and so forth, the money supply injection into the broader economy really enabled people to change the direction in regard to their cash flow spend. And, and perhaps, perhaps some of those people went toward debt reduction, putting money in the bank, working from home, saving some costs and so forth. So maybe it's more of a reflection rather than just um, an oversupply of money. Perhaps there's been just the, a reallocation of where that money has gone. And do you, do you think it might be more so a case of caution first? You know, there's people are sitting on it a little longer, worried about what might be coming. You know, perhaps putting a bit more in their in their um, uh, in their offset accounts and so on. Just just keeping it for that rainy day that the media seems to say is is coming in a sense. Yeah, it's a possibility. One thing that's of interest to me, I think some well, I think some people in in general are becoming a lot more entrepreneurial in their outlook, and I think they're looking at ways of raising income or sourcing income and putting that extra you know channel of income into their overall cash flow and i think that's been really interesting i mean if you talk about people from home working from home well how are they working from home what are they doing is the focus just on one core area or is it in another area in regard to business opportunities um it's a it's an array of things that are happening in the marketplace yeah how how are they spending their time is interesting but everyone's got a side hustle don't they you releasing a, a a a new um yoga fitness wear brand anytime soon, Jason? <laughs> yoga fitness. Could you imagine me doing my yoga meditation, John? I reckon I reckon you'd do a good job of it, man. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Uh, what about Rodney in your circles? What have you noticed? Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the side hustles. I I'm seeing maybe some guys step back from some of those hustles that maybe they've had a honeymoon period, been be it doing a podcast series or or maybe building on their recreational pursuits, but maybe people are now going, well, right, we've got to get back back to it. We've got to get back to maybe the real world and do what what is our core and, you know, like you mentioned about the debt, pay down debts and, yeah, those sorts of things. So, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely an interesting time, but I've just noticed coming back from, I guess, the, the Christmas period that, that people are maybe – re-evaluating where their priorities are too so you know and some of that can be to do with you know it could be health issues or family issues as well but um i think people are definitely realigning where they need to be and you know pay the bills i've heard some really interesting cases where people have had to do some really interesting things to raise monies just to to get through um be it downsize a, a vehicle or a, or a boat or a caravan, little things like that, and the way they've downsized as well has been really interesting. So, and these are for, for people people that are probably considered to be the top five percent of income earners too. So, it's not just for those that are on you know an, an an average level of income. It's probably a little bit to do with those that are overextended themselves a little bit without realizing. Now look, and maybe the point you're making there is that the wise investor, you know, pays attention to the detail and and is across where these expenses are coming from and where their money's going, you know, and they're actually aware of, of uh, you know, what they might be overpaying for. And, you know, when, when times get tight, they're, um, they're actually acting on that information to, to tighten, the, tighten mm. the screws a bit here and there. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's a fair call. Absolutely. Mm. Yep. So, guys, look, with all that in mind, what, what are your thoughts on the RBA's, you know, 
uh, I guess their, their willingness to, or I guess their attempts to slow the market, um, you know, by driving driving up interest rates to push down inflation. I mean, how does that how does that affect um, you know people's ability to invest in shares or come to you guys with an extra pocket of cash to throw into the super or whatever it is? You know, where you, where, how do you how do you talk to that? I think it's important to note, John, it all moves in cycles and I think for the astute investor, sure, there's the, the rate rises we've experienced over the past period, but there's the longer term outlook with regard to what's the purpose here, what are we doing, where's the money being allocated, what are we building, and um, making adjustments in the short term to really cater for that longer term objective. Uh, so whilst there could be a little bit of pain in the marketplace, you could ask the question, what's causing the interest rate rise? And there's a lot of different uh, economic views in that regard. Uh, but I think broadly, um, the astute investors will adjust accordingly and, and keep focus on that longer term goal. You're probably raising the point, Jace, that it's good to have a plan, isn't it? And like it's, it's important to be yeah. considerate about where you're going, look at the bigger picture. And this sort of backs up what you just said before, Rodney, that you know, yes, you might have been running a side hustle. You might, yes, you might have been trying a few things here, investing in a bit of crypto or whatever else you're doing. Um, but ultimately, the job that you take nine to five brings the dollars in the door. Let's get to that and make sure that's assured and, and working, right? There's a bit of a stick to the plan type scenario that is worth thinking about. Absolutely. And perhaps that's determined by the fact whether you're an investor or whether you're a consumer. Um, it just depends on the background of the person. If you take companies, for example... Obviously, money supply is in short circulation at the moment, so the question becomes for them, well, where do they source money? Where do they source money to survive, raise capital, invest into the companies to allow for growth? Uh, and perhaps that simple question also applies to the general household. Joseph, if that was the question that I had, if I sat there going, look, I, I think if I'm sitting there at home and I'm like, oh, look, I, I think we're covering ourselves here. It's maybe not as bad as it seems. I, I want to be cautious, but... You know, I'd like to try and get moving now while there's an opportunity or you see an opportunity. Where, where are some of the places people might consider sourcing some, some new funds to, to do something with? That's a good question, John. Um, I guess historically and traditionally everyone just runs to the banks. But there are non-financial institutions that offer funding in the marketplace for the consumer and there are other means of raising capital from the private market uh, if we're talking about companies. Uh, so there's always a plethora of options out there. It's just a question of what people are willing to explore uh, and apply to their circumstance. Yeah, and have you seen a few, you know, novel examples? Have you seen, you know, something as simple as someone running to their grandfather getting an, an advanced loan or getting an early, I don't know, an, an early um, bequeathment, something like that? Yeah, I've actually had a couple of clients go down that track. So they've gone back to the to the patriarch or the matriarch, if you like, and put some uh, thinking on the table in regard to, okay, well, there's this big pie at the end of the time frame. Can we better utilise that size of the pie or a percentage of that pie at the moment for different reasons? So that does enable different planning and different structures to be considered. Uh, depending on where the money comes from and how it then gets allocated across siblings if we're talking about families or across different entities if we're talking about companies. What about you, Rodney? Yeah, I was just going to build on what what Jason mentioned and asking the question, do you find that there's quite a bit of conversation around, I guess, the goals of the family broadly rather than just the individual to get to those sort of outcomes? 
Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, and, and it's just interesting the current market environment enables that type of discussion. So whilst on the one hand the interest rate rise could be painful, on the other hand there's an opportunity with regard to, okay, well, what are our options on the table? Mm. You yeah, find it ties in with the estate planning as well because you, you mentioned about bringing forward maybe distributions or, or gifts or loans. Mm. Does that tie into like the legal part of it on the back end in terms of the estate planning? Yeah, definitely, for sure. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing the professionals with regard to different backgrounds and trying to explore the different strategies that are possible. Mm. Yep. Just on that, John, we, we're finding some of the more sophisticated clients in terms of their structures, like they might have companies and family trusts and self-managed super funds, the estate plan becomes a little bit bit more clouded. Like for, for, for the, you know, an average kind of mum and dad that might have a super fund each, public offer fund and, and, you know, a house and maybe some investments, the estate plan can be a bit more simple, although superannuation is determined through the the nomination uh, structure and sometimes trustee discretion. So that can be sort of dealt with outside of the estate plan or the will, if you like. Um, so yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of um, I guess discussion and and sometimes apprehensiveness from people in addressing their estate plans. Um, obviously, we work closely with with some lawyers. Um, around the area and but yeah there are definitely some clients and even those that have got more more sort of complex structures like the companies and trusts that sometimes are a little bit not scared but they sort of hold off a little bit on looking at the estate plans and maybe having those discussions and maybe that's where Jason you've had some success bringing families together over a number of years to sort of have these conversations so one there's no surprises and two you know, it's getting addressed. Yeah, true. And, uh, you know, um, some some of the clients, if you like, are asking that very question, well, what does succession look like for me? Mm. And, and what are the consequences from that on the changes that maybe need to be had mm. uh, or adjustments along the way to get to a particular succession? Mm. So it's quite subjective, I guess, on the one hand. But on the other hand, it's quite objective in regard to the outlook and the outcome. Yeah, it's funny. We had a business meeting yesterday looking at the financial services sector and it had a look at our business in relation to other like practices and and some that are unlike too you know more metropolitan maybe larger practices and what we noticed that there there clearly was a succession issue within even our profession or industry where a lot of the senior partners are taking on more and more clients they're working long hours they probably don't have a lot of time for family so there, there appears to be an issue within our profession of bringing younger ones through and training them appropriately and, you know, maintaining and retaining them. Um, so, so there's not only issues within the family structures but within business structures as well and I'm sure we're seeing it with, with other businesses in the area too, like may, maybe even challenges in relation to investing outside of their businesses or outside of their property portfolios we're seeing some high net worth, you know, guys with, you know, around um, that are interested in alternative options, but they're definitely there's maybe some fear or maybe just they need time to sort of work out how it works where you outsource your monies to other providers. Um, 
investment providers and yeah and, and I think it's that's it incumbent upon the professionals to be provocative in the questioning too right so mm-hmm. at some point the question has to be said well what's the aim of what you're doing and what's the outcome you're trying to accomplish and there's a there's a business I'm just aware of without giving too much detail away where the heir to the throne uh, had just passed on unfortunately and the patriarch was left carrying the company. Now, the patriarch evidently is 85 years of age, and we're talking about a multi-million dollar business. So the succession planning wasn't given focus, if you like, uh, and now the question becomes, well, why are we doing what are we doing? And I think it's a valid question, not just personally, but also at the corporate level, if you like. So succession is, is it's an absolutely real issue. And um, I think the professionals have just got to ask that simple question. So you're trying to create wealth, you're trying to build wealth, you're trying to source capital, you're trying to invest capital as well as pay for everyday living costs. But what's the real direction you're trying to undertake? It's an interesting conversation to throw in the mix regarding small to medium enterprises, family-owned businesses, right? Because um, if you're the owner of a small business or a family business, you know, effectively you've weighted your investment into a fairly risky um, basket in a sense. You know, you've got everything, you've put everything on black. So, you know, if you look at your your risk profile and, and you're trying to consider, well, you know, are you an aggressive investor or are you a conservative investor um, But and you're running a business, then you've potentially got everything, in you know, on one horse. So, um, you know, are you finding that business owners are... are basically like you know throw it all on black i'm still going to just keep pushing this thing or you you know are people receptive to the idea of diversifying a little bit and i think in that john there is some risk like you might have had all your eggs in your basket but we are seeing some guys that are stepping away a little bit from their core business they might even be retiring from it and at a young age but we we have seen some people out in the broader market that are actually then hunting fairly heavily on maybe another private business that where they don't have management control and maybe they're not being provided a lot of information too like i'm speculating on that they may or may not but there is quite a bit of risk with stepping away from your core business and then outsourcing all of your capital towards maybe one venture Um, we deal with some larger investors that that have the net worth where they they can put quite a sizable holding in one particular company, but even then they might have six or seven or eight substantial holdings, so that covers their risk. If three or four fail, hopefully one or two of, of the eight might actually perform pretty well. Um, I saw that with one of our clients. He's in an IT firm down in Melbourne, and it was bought out by a private equity firm about eight years ago for I think it was ten million, but they worked really hard to transition their business and in the end they resold it for about sixty mil. But the private equity firm that bought in, that was again one of six or seven companies that they bought in and I think it was their big biggest success. There was no doubt there were two or three that failed. So that that is a, a bit of a red flag, John, and that's where I think the value of advice having someone external to your family or a husband and wife to to oversee what you're thinking and considering and, and sometimes those investments they might sound fantastic but there, there can be risk it can be too good to be true so 
I shouldn't be listening to the guys at the footy club when I'm having a beer after the game. Aren't those guys the experts? Well, it's it's funny. It's, it's funny. Sometimes those networks are very powerful. But they, so, told, they told me I was an idiot. Like, why, why would I do that? Yeah, well, some, sometimes the power of that network will be enough for people to be motivated to invest. And there might be in your social group or the footy club or the fishing club, you hear one guy's gone into a venture and then you go hear another couple have and then someone else says, oh, yeah, I've gone into it as well. Yeah. So that is a powerful network. Mm. And look, um, fa- family's the same, you know, talking it around the family lunch table, you know, saying, oh, what have you been up to? I'm thinking about doing this, thinking about doing that and copying a barrage of, of, of negativity. You know, that can make things hard for people. Yeah, I think, it, I think the point being, like, not many people really address the question, what's my risk appetite? What am I willing to do? What am I willing to take on board? That's right. A lot of a lot of those questions are, are are very shallow and short, short sort of narrow focused, don't they? Yeah. I mean, someone made the comment to me just recently, like it's the wealthy people that always make the money, and I and I just changed the table in, in conversation. I said it's not so much that they make the money, it's the level of risk they're willing to take on board to make that money. Uh, and most people they're comfortable with their nine to five, and that's fine if that's their objective. Other people think outside of that square, and uh, have a broader tolerance for risk. So, do you reckon I should invest all that money into that AI company now, or you know? <laughs> it's nice to hear you've got all that money to invest. Oh, I, yeah. wish, I wish I did. Yeah, I wish I did. Um, guys, one of the things I wanted to just sort of cross compare here comes back to one of those things we talked about with succession planning is this idea of old money and family wealth. You know, over in Europe and potentially in Asia as well, there's generations and generations of consolidated strategy that have paid benefit to the families things like you know property that's been held in the family over over years which has created a great asset pool which has enabled them to be able to borrow really well and they've made smart investments so because australia is such a young country in comparison to these you know thousand year old countries um do we are we missing in our culture this sense of working together as a family are we still in this I'm all in it for me kind of thing. You know, this Aussie battler, they've moved here, young, I guess, new generations who are trying to make a go of it on their own and not necessarily in the mindset or the culture of working as a family unit. You know, is that a cultural shift that we need to make? Uh, it's a great question, actually. Uh, it'd be fair to say that our culture is transitioning and we don't have the hundreds of years worth of um, longevity and experience that these markets you're referring to have had. Um, for example, I was recently told the Hong Kong share market, as an example, 70% of it is still, the companies that make up that share market are still run by the patriarch. That's unheard of in our country. So, but they've had the benefit of building empires, changing direction, falling empires and so forth. We haven't had that yet, but we are definitely in transition. And you can see... You can see some family office space, for example, drawing on that point you're making and working closer together as a, as a knit family on potentially creating wealth and transitioning it, uh, but broadly also between the business partners forming part of that same family office. So there are some changes happening and definitely we're in transition. And... Um uh, you know, I mentioned that idea of entrepreneurial spirit for what is a young nation, you know, in potentially Australia's straddled alongside America more so in that regard, you know, this um, 
this uh this idea of you know start a business make make a dollar you know support yourself you know and and how are the, how do those two cultures cha- change or, or i guess oppose each other or or you know what can we learn from that <laughs> i think one's broadly broadly focused on independence and the other one's focused on dependence so um again that comes down to the culture are you driving an economy that's made up of varying individuals forming that economy or separating individuals that don't form the economy. Is part of it in this country that maybe we're not looking long-term enough? For sure. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Everything's about that short-term result mm. at the moment. Mm. Yeah, and I, I tend to... You know, I challenge the idea that people even know that that's an option. You know, they, they're probably so wound up in, uh, again, the, the barefoots of the world that they've got to make their own make their own future. But um, look, even the discussion around superannuation is about that in a sense. It's like build your own wealth. But, you know, is it even on the table for some Australian families to consider working together as a family unit or a, or a partnership unit? I think it's on the table, definitely. Yeah, the, if you have a... The, the cliche is family office space. If you have a look at that particular space and that particular sector within the broader financial community, it has grown in numbers over the past 10 to 20 years and will continue to do so because some of these wealthier families have realised, well, we've created something. What are we doing with it? Uh, and that becomes the overriding question. Uh, and then it brings in other skill sets, other potential family offices to work in collectively together. There's an old cliche, everyone flocks to the same pool on Collins Street. And there's some truth in that. Tell me then, if I was a small business owner or a business partner and I, you know, I, you know maybe paid off my house and starting to accumulate some wealth and I'm new to this idea of, family office or partnership, what are the kind of questions I should be asking myself and what might be the early steps be to get into this? I think the question you want to ask yourself, John, is what type of legacy you're trying to build and leave behind? And then what are the frameworks around that? And that becomes a possibly a pretty deep conversation at times but also presenting many opportunities at the same time. And uh, as Rodney alluded to earlier today, the, the advisors, the professionals have really got to step up to the plate to provoke by asking those type of questions and, and seeing where people are at with regard to what they're trying to do, their risk tolerance or their risk appetite and what it means for them individually but collectively for the family. Just on the, the back end of that, it's probably fairly important to have a strong vision and, and missions kind of statement behind it because there are a lot of challenges in transitioning wealth or building wealth and transitioning the next generation or the generation after that there's you know that's that's a real challenge and we're seeing it a little bit just in our game fishing community we've got a lot of younger guys coming through with younger children and a lot of them are you know it's a real challenge to bring the children up to sort of fish in that environment where you're out in rough seas and, you know, fickle fishing conditions and, you know, dealing with you know, seasickness and travel and all that sort of thing. Like it's – there's no guarantee just because you've got children that they're going to want to do it firstly and to be successful and be able to achieve it. So um, it's probably a little bit like that with the family – let's say it is a family business if you've got – you know, two or three children obviously generally nowadays we're having less children so there's no guarantee that you, your children are going to want to be involved in the family business 
And secondly to that is dealing with some of these other things we're talking about, like investing and managing relationship with, with you know, financial advisors, accountants, lawyers, you know, banking. There's a, there's a lot of skill set in that and it's not for everyone, John. You know, so, yeah, they're, they are pretty deep issues, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's sort of, it's sort of bordering on the realisation you need some family governance, <laughs> for the lack of a better phrase. You need framework around the family in order for the family to keep on track and to get to a particular direction. But Joseph, I can't even decide what my favourite brand of tomato sauce is, and you know, I argue with my brother about that. How am I going to decide on uh, what we're going to do with our family finances? <laughs> Man, it's want, it's funny want... you mentioned that, John. I was I was down at a local sporting event the other day, and one of the guys said that he had some professional like brothers in laws and all that sort of thing, and sister-in-laws and stuff and he said oh we're looking at doing a joint investment together and i heard it and like it was across maybe three or four families oh it's quite interesting like at what level is there value in doing that in terms of like like, let's say the assets a million dollar asset is there enough in it to bother doing it and to bring all those parties together but at the same time you go oh what's good there discussing it thinking about it doing the research whether or not it's the right thing or not to do you know, who knows? It depends on the people at the table. But then I guess it brings in other opportunities too. Like, you know, there's so many investment opportunities, isn't there? You know, not, you know, it could be property, it could be other options. Do you use lending? Do you not? So, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. So, in that, do you think, Rodney, there's probably three key areas the financial strategy, the governance behind it, and the risk appetite? be it corporate or for an individual. Yeah, I guess they're all they're all parts to it. Just just for the the dumbest person in the room over here, could you just give me a sentence about what each of those mean? Well, the financial strategy is probably just touching on the point that Rod's raised. Where do you get the money? How do you deploy that money? And what's the underlying reason for wanting that money in the first instance? The governance is probably the framework around that money and keeping it accountable to the objective at hand. And then the risk appetite is, okay, under what circumstances would you be willing to go outside of that framework in order to achieve a particular objective? So um, if I'm one of those investors and I'm talking to my friends or family, we're looking at doing these things, I should raise a red flag if I go to a financial investor or my accountant and they're not asking me those questions? Maybe, maybe. And there's the exit as well, Jace. Like yeah. if one of the parties doesn't want to, to stick around in that process, um, we've helped one recently where there was some assets purchased for a business premise and one of the parties that that wasn't active in the business was more of, of an investor or a funder and they decided they were happy to step away after a big gain on that asset and... Um, question came on that one was it as simple as getting a current val and expecting that that money would would come from you know the one that was involved with the business and so then it probably raises a question you know is that is that the case or is you know i think you've got to go back to the purpose of the asset what was the purpose the purpose was to build a business premise then if you've got an investor or a funder then going well there's been a big short-term gain here do they cash it out then it's probably going against what the purpose of the project was. So I know within that particular case, there was a pretty robust discussion around 
what was a fair valuation? Was it market value or was it a discounted valuation so that the original intention of the project could occur? So mm. there's, there's definitely a lot to it, John. And again, you know, there was an advice process amongst that which maybe calmed heads and was able to get an outcome that, that we think was a good outcome for, for all parties and enabled the, you know, the intention of the project to, to push ahead without too much collateral damage um, and particularly when you're dealing with families you you don't really want a money issue clouding the relationship that do you really so I think that's where maybe having a good open conversation and looking at the di- different options and I think it comes if there's no if there's a lack of communication then you're in a bit of trouble aren't you hmm. Absolutely, guys. Um, look, I've got here in my notes that we were we should have raised or we were going to raise the idea about the labour market and how that stands at the moment and, and you know, maybe some comment around the fly and fly out market and we know these guys get paid pretty well for what they do and potentially making up a good percentage of these com- conversations. You know, how do you find that changing the landscape at the moment? There's a lot of talk around labour market, labour market shortage, John, and it's a complicated area because it borders on what's the government policy in regard to monetary policy, labour market policy, fiscal policy, and the reality is when you talk to business people, they're all saying the same thing, it's hard to get labour. So the question then becomes, well, why is it hard and where do you source that labour? Is it that the very few are actually on a good wicket, earning a good income, and it's becoming a closed labour market? Or is it truly really an open labour market where immigration policy comes into the foray and all these factors are considered with regard to the the overall labour market itself? I'm not sure the current inflationary pressures are really directly related to the wages spiral that everyone's talking about. I don't know. There's a lot of commentary in that regard. Um, But... There is no doubt when you speak to local businesses or national businesses, they're all singing the same tune. It's difficult to get labour. Question I've got then is if I'm, you know, if so many people are employed and they're earning what seems to be more and more and we're talking about um, interest rates being increased so that people are spending more and they're, you know, I guess this this downward pressure on inflation, um, it was... You know, I read an article recently that talked about, well, what else could we do? What if we forced everyone to invest more into their super? So it's almost like a forced savings plan instead of shuffling that money all through to the banks. Do you guys have an opinion on that? I was probably thinking a little bit about, you know, this talk around inflation and there seems to be a lot of focus on the individual, but one area that we're not really talking about is, you know, say the government sector, Um they're looking at bringing in some extra taxes for higher balances, which will save a couple of billion dollars in the $50 million budget deficit. Now, if if the government is spending $50 million a year, billion dollars a year more than what their revenue is, well, they're spending beyond their means, aren't they? So maybe their budget needs to be trimmed back. So there seems to be not a lot of discussion around their budget they just want to find ways to cover it up with more revenue so and a part of the issue and we are hearing down here i heard in the local plumbing market that there's 10 to 15 guys that one plumber knows that they're all down in melbourne on tunnel project so which means that the local plumbers don't have a supply of skilled labor 
uh, one, because it's too expensive because they're on big money down there and two, they just don't have it to meet the demand down here. So maybe a part of this inflation issue is that the government have commit, committed to too many projects and too much funding and maybe that is a great source of $50 billion of income in the economy that is causing inflation issues. So the mum and dad with the you know, the standard mortgage is copping the hit for maybe some sectors in the economy that are spending beyond their means and creating the issue that, that we as individuals are being forced to, to manage. It's a fair call. I mean, if you have a look at, uh, there are a couple of companies that I'm aware of where a lot of their supply of service, if you like, is to do with infrastructure development, which is basically government funded. And the labour force, if you like, is basically treading water, earning their income, but the company itself is not actually generating any profit. So it's almost like it's for the sake of the infrastructure and the labour market will do it. But in regards to the true cost and having the ability to save to reinvest, it's not there. So, so perhaps the whole issue with regards to expectation and so forth does need reviewing, be it the government sector or the private sector. I, th- I think ultimately, without even having these alternative views or alternative approaches considered, you know, we, we, we can't even, we, you know, we don't, we're not even posed with the option of, of considering what else could be. So, um, you know, it's good to be opening the can on, on some of these things and kind of going, well, what if this, what if we did this, what if we did that? Guys, we uh, have had a great chat today. We've managed to get through a lot and, uh, you know, time has flown. Um, obviously, we've, we've got this uh, scenario at the moment with infl- interest rates, you know, pushing up the highest they've been for a few years now. There's talk about could it go into a recession, you know, what's happening with the market, what are the upsides people can take away to conclude this podcast today until our next one that, um, you know, something for them to think about in the coming coming weeks and months? I think it it comes down to just having conversations around where, where people are at, where they want to be, what they need to do. Um, you know, we talk about the, the need for advice and a sounding board and that's what we're seeing is those that are consistent with their strategies and their conversations and reviewing what they're doing, they're the ones that are making the money. Mm. Um, you just notice it with our own portfolios, the clients that are very consistent with what they're doing, be it with their own work or their business, but consistent with us, they're the ones that are achieving the better outcome. So that's probably a theme that can continue, John, is just consistency and there will be opportunities at the moment. We just saw this morning... One of our clients' homes that they sold three or four years ago just got resold on on acreage and there was quite a big capital gain um, over the last three or four years. So if people are making positive decisions on, you know, what they're doing, then over time those opportunities will will show out. Obviously the last 12 months things have been a little bit tough, but maybe then 12 months from now, 18 months from now, those that have stayed the course are probably going to reap the benefit. It just highlights the important John, the importance, John, of uh, communication. Getting back to your strategy, reviewing it, making sure it's on track, and if it's not, what can be done? And um, perhaps a bit, a bit boring, isn't it? Well, it's, it's a little bit consistent, so expect a great outcome. Well, if it's boring, Rodney, like you can always engage in a, a chat about you know crypto, where that's going, and you know argue <laughs> about your tomato sauce, and you know 
There's plenty of entertainment out there for anyone who <laughs> for wants sure it. For sure, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not sure about the mozzarella. Was it really 180 bucks a kilo? For three kilos. Three more. kilos, was yeah, it? Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty Just, sure I said three kilos. Oh, I'm sure you did. Yeah, the, the prosciutto you can hang in the garage and let it, you know, let it, let it, let it sort of age a bit, but you don't want to keep the, the mozzarella in the fridge for too long. I haven't got four months to wait for the prosciutto. <laughs> I don't think it would last very long in my house either. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for a great chat today. Um, we'll, we'll call it there. For anyone who's interested in having a more in-depth discussion about the things we've discussed today, please, by all means, reach out directly to Rodney and Jason. You'll find their contact information by visiting ropen.com.au and that is R-O-P-A-N.com.au. They're very friendly guys and they'd love to take your call or your email, so please do that. Um, but of course, if you have your own financial advisor or trusted friends, be it at the footy club or in your family lunch table, wherever it be. John, uh, John. <laughs> uh, if they have your best interest at heart, reach out to them too because um, it is not one shoe fits all and uh, you, know, you need to consider your own situation. That's all from us today. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next installment of Conversations on Wealth. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Please note that the advice discussed in this podcast may not necessarily be suitable to you because it contains general advice that has not been tailored to your personal circumstances. We ask that you please seek personal financial advice prior to acting on this information. To find out more about what was discussed in this podcast or to seek advice, we encourage you to contact the friendly staff at Ropan Financial Services by visiting www.ropan.com.au or referring to the notes in the description. 